And this is our third and final part of our Frequently Asked Questions, the Facts of Life series. At the beginning of the year, we began to slip little pieces of paper into your bulletins and say, hey, if you have some questions, now's a great time to, to ask them. Never done that before. And so we began doing that about every four to six weeks. We would slide these in and allow you to fill them out. And we just began to gather these. And uh, there will be a handful of the questions that we deal with um, later on via video and post those on the website. But we, we covered some questions about God in the first week. If you missed that, you can catch that on our website. Um, the video, you can find that there. Also, last week, we dealt with uh, some issues about the family. And you can catch that online. And then, of course, you're here for the PG-13 one. So questions, questions, questions are a normal part of any relationship. And guess what? Our, our thing with God is not based on religion. It's not based on following a little set of precepts and trying to earn a place with him. That's what religion does. We have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He made it to where we can have a relationship. And with any relationship, it, it has questions at its root. That's how we get to know each other. Where the, the original question is, of what's your phone number? It's a question. You know, what's your name? Would you like to go and have dinner with me? Any of those things, we begin to know one another. All of those things are questions and God understands this is a relational thing and that's how we get to know one another and God doesn't back off he doesn't back off of our questions and it's part of what we do as we journey with him faith-filled truth craving questions is something God wants us and wants out of us so here we go first right out of the box we're going to get into these and again these are I want to preface this message if this is your first time with us um, we do not normally focus on behavior issues like this is bad, this is bad, don't do this. We focus on cultivating a relationship with God and we know the Holy Spirit is going to talk to you and tell you what is your next step in walking into freedom with him. We've all got stuff on our plate that needs to be dealt with, but we're not going to harp on that. We're going to let the Holy Spirit do it. But guess what? Y'all ask the questions. So here we are. And, uh, but we don't, that's not our MO. This isn't the way we roll normally. And um, so the first question is, is all pornography bad? And some people are like, why was this question even asked? Well, part of it is, is because what do we define as pornography? Is it just the, the, the nasty, messed up stuff that, 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 that people who are, who are way more deviant than we are, is it the stuff they look at? Or does it get into the stuff that I don't have a problem with? Or does it get into, I mean, modesty falls on all ends of the spectrum. I mean, you can get there. I mean, now that Islamic society is to the place used to, they would make them wear the little coverings and they let their eyes show. Now they've got a little screen thing covering their eyes because some women's eyes were just too beautiful. And it just aroused too many guys. And now you've got to put a little screen over it because even the eyes are too much. Well, guess what? You know what that says? It says that our ability to be trapped into lust knows no bounds, folks. It knows no bounds. It doesn't take just a whole lot to, if we're wired into that, it doesn't take a whole lot of that. So guess what? That becomes the baseline for how we deal with this. Anything that creates lust within our heart should be avoided. 
This is it. Anything that does that. And that's the reason, that's the reason that we need to not deal with pornography. It is designed, it is hardwired, it is created to create lust within us. It is to create unhealthy sexual desires, unhealthy sexual fulfillment. God wired us to, to live in beautiful, sexually fulfilled lives inside of marriage. And anything outside of that begins to bring destruction into our lives. Let's go ahead and look at Matthew 5. And we're going to look at a bunch of scripture, okay? People can get up here and espouse their, their opinions all over the place, but we're going to stay rolling on tons of scripture today. Again, this is a little different service. Um, Matthew 5 says, You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But Jesus, he's taking it to the next level. He says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I tell you what, every, every spouse knows that this is the case. Every spouse knows this. Nobody can sit there and, and the, the husband's walking down through the mall and somebody walks by and he goes, and the wife goes, it's okay, he, not, he didn't follow her. You know, he didn't ask for a number, it's okay. No! The wife elbows, seriously? You jerk, I can't believe you're doing that right here. Why? Because no, man, unhealthy stuff is happening. It is not good. We we're, we're understand this. We understand this. That's what we've got to protect and over and over and over again. This comes back to protecting our hearts, drawing boundaries and letting God bring us into life-giving places in our hearts. 1 Corinthians 6 says, flee from sexual immorality. Get away from it. We have a hyper-sexualized culture. I mean, it is just everything. I mean, sadly, I mean, <clears throat> little girls used to want to be beautiful. They don't want to be beautiful anymore. Little girls want to be sexy now. There's something totally different about that. There's something totally different. God created beauty. Beauty is all around us. Beauty is, is, is something that's life-giving. This sexy thing has to do with wanting to be desired. It, it's this lustfulness. It is this thing wanting to be pursued. That thing is unhealthy, and our society has hardwired us to begin to desire that. We have a, <clears throat> we have a member of the, the church that owns a, a makeup store and does makeovers and all of these kind of things, and she is... Felt she opened a store to help people that had a had low self-esteem and had a hard time with just themselves be simply beautiful. But then she has young people, especially at prom time, come in and say, I want you to do my makeup and I want you to make me sexy. Wait a second. What's the root here? What's the root here? Do you just want to look as good as you possibly can? Do you just want to enhance your natural beauty? Or you're going in a totally unhealthy, destructive cycle? That is not what God has called us to. We are to flee sexual immorality, not pursue it or not try to attract it. Why do, why, why do, we, sit, why do we go to the gyms? Guys, why do we go to the gym? Do we want to be fit? Do we want to take care of our bodies so that we can live as long as we possibly can and, and, and fulfill the assignment on our lives? Or do we want to just be ripped and let all the ladies kind of get a little drool? What's the motive here? What is the motive? It comes back to the... Uh, don't look at me like that. What's the motive? What's the motive? What's the motive? It comes down to, to a lust issue. Do you not know... Oh, I love this. <clears throat> Flee sexual... All other sins a man commits outside of his body, 
but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. This is the argument that everybody gives. And yes, we live in America and we live in a free society. And you know what? We have the freedom. And God, he doesn't get us in chokeholds to keep us from unhealthy, uh, unhealthy lifestyles or, or choices. He says, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose. We're choosers. So yeah, in, our, in the U.S., we have the, the ability to choose what we're going to do. But as believers, we ought to be choosing right. And th- this is the argument over and over again. Well, I'm a mature adult, and I should have the right to choose whatever I want to. And you know what? God says you do. God agrees with you on that. But then he also says, guess what? There's a path to life. Choose that one. And this one isn't it. And that thing, well, it's just my body. It's just my body. Well, my, as believers, God's saying, yeah, it's your body. That's why this is a big deal. It says all other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. It's a big deal before God that you're doing that to yourself. Why is he taking that to that level? Why? Why? Because we're called to love our neighbor like ourselves. And if we will bring something destructive into ourselves and not love ourselves enough to say, you know what, I don't want to sin against myself that way, then eventually, eventually, it gets torn down and we'll sin against others in that same way. That's why over and over again, when you see, when you see child predators and you see, see people who are, who, are, who are sexual predators, whether rapists or any of those different kind of things, then you can talk to all that we've got uh, um, policemen, they, they know the profiles, over and over and over again, the huge majority are addicted to porn. They have invited that and they have sinned sexually against themselves long enough that now they're jaded enough that they'll violate somebody else. That's why God says, brings it back to ourselves. Love yourself enough to not do that to yourself. Yes, it's you. Yes, it's you. That's why it's a big deal. Don't do it. It's you. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? We're gonna, that we recognize as believers the Holy Spirit lives within us. Let's put stuff in our eye gate, in our ear gate, that is going to feed and develop the renewed life of God within us. <clears throat> Verse 20 says, you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. As believers, we ought to remember that and ought to set strong boundaries. Let's look at Genesis 3 right quick. Genesis 3 is where we've gotten, we'll have it on the screen, is where we have the, the uh, fall of man. We have God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Okay? These walks with God, Adam's naked, folks. He's on a naked stroll with God. Okay? <laughs> He is. But they are, it is, there's no shame involved in it. There's no shame involved in it because uh, a lot of theologians say that there was this, this, this glory. Like, like Abraham, I mean like Moses when he saw God, that there was this glory that covered his face and he glowed. That there was this glory that covered Adam and Eve. The, the Bible, the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament Bible, any of it doesn't say that. But he was, we know he was, he was, he was naked. But then when he falls away... And he begins to choose his own path. Then immediately it says, then their eyes of both of them were opened and they realized all of a sudden nakedness now existed. They'd been naked the whole time, but now nakedness exists. Well, what happened? Well, they recognized that all of a sudden their mind is flooded. They didn't eat from the tree of the knowledge or the tree of death. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Their minds were flooded with the destructive uses of the naked form. 
And all of a sudden now they're like, yikes, we need to cover this. It's only the two of them on the planet, people. And they're married. We understand two married people, naked's cool. And here they are. Here they are that they're immediately covering themselves up and hiding from God. And God says, Adam, where are you? And he says, ah, I hid from you because I was, I was naked and I was afraid. And he says, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from that fruit? I told you not to. There's nobody else there to tell them they were naked. Their minds all of a sudden understood the destructive use of the naked form and shame associated with it flooded them. And they covered themselves with what they had at their disposal. And let's see, all of a sudden, so maybe God says, oh no, just understand the beauty of the naked form and take those fig leaves off and just continue to, to, to be naked. No, we see God takes it to another level. In verse 21, says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. These had to be the best garments ever. God made them. And he makes them of skin. More than likely, he didn't just fabricate skin. More than likely, an animal died. The first blood is shed to cover that. And this happens before they're kicked out of the garden. All this goes down in the garden. The very next verse says, God says, lest they eat of the fruit of life and live forever and then kicks them out of the garden and they exit the garden with God-made clothes covering their nakedness and go out. There is this place. Yes, yes, God, there was an original intent, but we have to understand that there should be this modesty. The modesty is the life choice. As soon as Adam and Eve chose death, the new life choice for humanity is modesty. God created it. That's the new life choice for us while we're here. That's it. We even see in Genesis 9. We see in Genesis 9 that the world is destroyed. We know the story of, of Noah. There's the flood comes. Everything's getting back to normal on this side of the flood. Noah was a man of the soil. Righteous Noah. And he plants a vineyard. Then he drinks some of the wine. He gets drunk. And he lays uncovered in his tent. Noah, awesome Noah. We put him on the, the nurseries of our little kid's wall. Right after that scene. We don't put the next scene on our little kid's walls. Because he's in his tent, passed out, naked, drunk. And we don't put that on our kid's walls. We don't put naked, drunk Noah there. And he's naked, drunk. And this fits in last week of how do we deal with honoring a parent who maybe isn't honor-worthy in our mind. Yikes, here we go. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and went and told his two brothers, Dad's naked! You know, he had to be telling, go check this out, Dad's just like, he's just naked in there. And you know what the brothers did? They said, we're not going to violate this way. Understood that modesty is the life choice. And Dad had made a poor decision and got so drunk he didn't know if his clothes were on or off and dad made a poor decision and we're not going to come in with a life choice and that two of them do something that seems goofy it seems overkill but they understood this that modesty is the choice life modesty is the life choice and they get a garment and they get side by side shoulder to shoulder and they put this garment on their shoulders and they walk backwards into the tent 
They walk backwards into where he is. And then they sit there so that it's wide. They can probably see Pop's feet right between their, their feet. And then they slough off the garment to make sure it doesn't fall to one side or the other. And it covers Noah's nakedness and lets him sleep off his drunken stupor. Unnaked this time. He's covering. And he wakes up. And he doesn't feel the shame and the ridicule and all of that kind of stuff. And they make a life choice to honor him when he was less than honorable. That's not parent of the year material. And, and he, he does that. They do that and bring life to him and understand modesty, folks. We have to sit there and recognize that's what, that's the life choice here. Psalms 119.37 says, Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Philippians 4.8, folks, this is where it comes. This is the ultimate decider of all of it. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about this. If we're ingesting that other stuff, is that what we're thinking about? Do our thoughts line up with Philippians? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. This is the baseline. Let me roll our video. It's not porn. <laughs> I get to tag in for a minute, and uh, we're going to talk about our next question that has to do with lies. And the question was asked, I believe it was, is it ever okay to tell a lie? I believe that's the question. So we're just going to jump right in because, again, we've got a lot to get through and a short amount of time. But you know what? We live in a culture, you guys, that no longer really values honesty. When I was a kid, man, we were regaled with stories, and our, our childhood heroes were the most honorable and honest people on the planet. I mean, you guys remember hearing about Honest Abe, right? who, uh, the story goes, he walked miles and miles and miles in the snow to return a book because he wanted to keep his word. He was an honest man. George Washington, you know, would not tell a lie about having chopped down his cherry tree or his father's cherry tree. Both of these guys, their honesty was legendary. But you know what? It just doesn't seem to be that way anymore. And we lie to all kinds of people for all kinds of reasons. We lie to our friends to spare their feelings. We lie to our bosses to get out of working late. We lie to each other. We lie to ourselves. And you know what? The truth of the matter is our lies have consequences. Um, Even so-called polite lies can have unintentional consequences. And sometimes we just can't see them coming, but some of them are terrible. We're going to show you a short little video here. And listen, we warned you guys ahead of time to uh, keep your little kids out. This this might be hard to watch, but y'all need to see this. Go ahead and roll it, Anthony. Hello, 
Right? And that's just, that's amazing. That was an American Idol audition. Somebody should have told that guy the truth a long time ago. All right? My brother, my friend, this is not your thing. This is not what you do well. Don't go on national TV and make a fool of yourself doing that. I don't even know what song he was singing. That was some sort of barnyard animal sound. It was just wrong. I've heard that. Never mind. Listen, in, in all seriousness, though, lying is a serious matter. God takes it seriously. You know what? It's one of the most talked about subjects in the Bible. There are literally hundreds and hundreds of instances where the Bible talks about lies and liars. And you know what? They're almost without fail negative things. So your first fill in the blank, if you've got your notes or whatever, is this. God hates lies, but delights in the truth. One more time. God hates lies, but delights in the truth. Proverbs 12.22 says this. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are His delight. And I tell you what, I had a hard time picking out just a couple of verses because Proverbs is literally littered with admonitions against being dishonest. But God saying... Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Lies are bad. Lies are bad. There must be a reason that he spends so much time talking about this. It's just a destructive pattern. And the thing is, we get into this thing where we're just so comfortable with it that sometimes we don't even realize we're making that choice. We just do it out of habit. Proverbs 16, or I'm sorry, 6, 16 through 22. Listen, lies are so, such a big deal. They make God's top seven list of things that he says he hates. And I know it's hard to think about God sometimes and think that he hates things. But guess what? That's what Proverbs 6, 16 through 22 tells us is this. Here are six things God hates and one more thing that he loathes with a passion. Eyes that are arrogant, a tongue that lies, hands that murder the innocent, a heart that, wa- that hatches evil plots, feet that race down a wicked track, a mouth that lies under oath, a troublemaker in the family. Of those seven, three of those have to do with lying. Lying lips. Somebody who bears false witness, who lies under oath, and somebody who stirs up strife and trouble, which can oftentimes be spreading lies, spreading rumors. That's crazy. That's three of the seven that have directly to do with lying. The moment we say this, though, sometimes our minds race and we start to think of reasons why it might be a good idea. We did this at youth the other night. We talked about... um, is it ever a good idea? And we got some pretty good answers. But man, there's sometimes it just seems like that truth is a better, or that lie is a better way to go than being honest. And there are circumstances and there are times when it's going to feel that way. But you know what? The second fill in the blank is this. We cannot build a paradigm based on exceptions or around exceptions. Another way of saying that is we can't build a paradigm based on um, anecdotal evidence. Does that make sense? There are stories in the Bible, we're going to go over a couple of them real quick, where it appears as though God says, eh, that's okay, when someone tells a little fib. But I tell you what, we cannot build a lifestyle around this, about the exception or two. Um, the one that kicked to mind immediately was I thinking about the, the midwives in the story of Moses, where they told Pharaoh, well, man, these Hebrew women, they're just so hardy, they give birth before we can get there. And they're covering up the fact that they hid Moses, and they sent him down the river, and they would not let him be killed. That's one. The other one that comes to mind is the person of Rahab. And you know what? She's a prostitute. She lies to protect these men who come into Jericho. And she makes it into the Hall of Fame, or the Hall of Faith, I should say. In Hebrews 11, they talk about her faithfulness. And also, in James uh, 2, 25-26, look at what it says. It says, The same with Rahab, the Jericho harlot, 
Wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape that seamless unity of believing and doing what counted with God? The very moment you separate body and spirit, you wind up with a corpse. Separate faith and works and you get the same thing, a corpse. But Rahab lied. This wasn't a fib. It wasn't a little white lie. She straight up lied to these people's faces and said, no, they're not here. And she protected their lives. So if you're not careful on this slippery slope of God sort of seemingly turning a blind eye. Now, God never comes out and says, man, bless you for lying. And, and in, in the New Testament, we never say Rahab was honored for her lying mouth. She was honored for, for preserving life. She was honored for making what was honestly a very scary decision for her. It was honestly a very dangerous decision for her to preserve life and to act, as the Bible said, in faith. But we have to be very careful because, you know, the second you run off and go, well, see, they did it. And they did it. God bless them for that. Guess what? There's other examples in the Bible where that didn't happen. Uh, one that springs to mind real quick, and it's not in the, in the verses, but Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts were supposed to bring a sum of money they'd promised to bring to the church. And when they came to bring the money, they held some back for themselves and they lied. And you know what? Struck dead on the spot, both of them. Now, there are very few examples of God striking people down for lying. Just as there are very few examples of God saying, you know what, lying's okay in this situation. So again, got to go back to what we said. You cannot build a paradigm. We cannot build a philosophy around the exceptions. And the idea here is that we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help us in these situations. Does that make sense? So most of us don't have a trouble seeing the danger in a lie like Ananias and Sapphira told. It was greed-based. It was self-based. It was something that they did for themselves. But you know what? The polite lies we tell in society... The ones that, that we kind of say all the time, we're a little bit more tolerant of those things, right? We see this guy, you know, the American Idol guy, and somebody probably told him, no, you have a lovely singing voice. It's beautiful. You sound just like John Mayer. If he's being stabbed, yes, that's true. So they lift the last part out. You sound just like, no, you sound like him dying is what you sound like. But we see this as a set of these two extreme choices where we have the choice to either tell the guy Oh, no, you're fantastic. Or we have to do like our Simon Cowell impression and tell him, oh, you're absolutely awful. It's the most terrible thing. You should jump off a cliff and die. You should, no one should be exposed to your singing voice. It's terrible. That's my terrible impersonation. Don't ever tell me it's terrible, by the way. Lie to me and tell me it was good. Just joke. But there are, in our minds, we have these two extremes. We're either going to tell this guy he's great or we're going to just cut his legs off out and just tell him he's terrible and break him and crush him. But you know what? Those aren't our only two choices. Both those choices are bad. We either deal harshly with them or we deal dishonestly with them. That's a terrible choice. What does the Bible say about us telling the truth? Check this out. It says it just like this. Last fill in the blank for you guys. We are called to speak the truth in love. I tell you what, you take out the truth part and you get all love and it's bad. You take out the love part and all you get is truth and it's bad. Man, we need to have both of those things working in conjunction. Look at Ephesians 4.15. It says this, Instead, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now, Jesus dealt with people honestly. He never walked past the woman who was in sin and said, Ah, you're fine. Don't sweat it. I love you. No, he called her out on it. Now, he called her out in love. And he convicted her in love. He didn't beat her over the head. He didn't drag the woman who was caught in adultery in the street. He was the one who wanted to stone her. But he was the one who said, go and sin no more. Cut it out. Knock it off. In love, I can tell you that there are certain things you just need to hear. We need to deal with one another 
in a way. Listen, we need to honor people's feelings. We really do. But I think we've gone so far the other direction in our culture and our society. We don't tell kids the truth. You know, we don't tell people the truth. We, we would rather spare their feelings than have to tell them a hard truth. I wish I had the graphic, but one of our youth found a cool picture, and it was a picture of people standing in line. And one line said, comfortable lies, and the other one said, difficult truth. And the one for the comfortable lies, line all the way out the door. And the one for the comfortable, or for the harsh truth, there was no one there. We've even gotten to a place where for ourselves, we don't even want to hear it. But our choice is not one between polite lies and brutal honesty. I'm going to leave you with this last thing, okay? Here's your last fill-in. If your truth is unsolicited, if your truth is unhelpful, if your truth is unkind, keep it to yourself. Remember what I always said, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. Now listen, sometimes unsolicited truth still needs to be spoken. But unsolicited truth can still be kind, right? If you see somebody who's fallen, they're doing something they ought not to do, man, we have an obligation to say, man, I'm worried about you, I'm concerned, don't do that. We're not... So it's not as though they have to ask us. But if they do ask, you know, we need to be kind. We need to be helpful. We need to speak life into that situation. Amen? All right, on to the third one. Is homosexuality a sin? Oh, wow. Um, uh, personally, I don't think so, yeah. Is homosexuality a sin? Not at all. I, everyone should have the right to do whatever they choose to do, as long as it doesn't harm anyone else. I, I mean, I don't agree with it. Um, I do think it's a sin because if you're born one certain way, I mean, God made you. So by going and saying you're a different way, that's kind of like saying God made a mistake. Is homosexuality a sin? Certainly it is. Uh, so is murder, adultery. Uh, all sin is sin to God. It's not. Uh, uh, we seem to classify sin as our, as, as men. We say some sins are worse than others, but to God, sin is sin. I'm going to need y'all to give me just a few more minutes than you normally give on a Sunday, and so I will try to cover this as as quick as possible. Um, we got this question multiple times, and so I felt like we really needed to make sure and address it. We obviously, as a church, we take the Bible as our clear standard uh, for what it, what is life-giving and what is not life-giving. And uh, honestly, folks, there's just, I, I don't understand in the Christian community. I understand it in the world. I understand them debating it all day long in the world. That, that's the world. That's an, another, a whole other paradigm. But inside the Christian community, take the, take the word of God as truth. This is, this is a clear-cut issue. The Bible clearly states that two people of the same sex having a sexual encounter is wrong. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's just the way it is. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6. It says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers or male prostitutes nor homosexual offenders nor thieves or the greedy or drunkards. And it has a whole list of other people. It doesn't isolate the sin of homosexuality all by itself. Um, but it's there in the list. We've got it back in the Old Testament. Leviticus 18.22 do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. It is detestable. We look at Romans 1. Uh, because of this, God gave uh, them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received within themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Over and over again, we see this scripturally. 
that it's wrong. This isn't a big, this isn't a big debated issue within the church. Here comes the issue for the church. Here comes the issue for the church. People that are, that are duped by the enemy. People who are drawn into this for whatever reason. What are we going to do with those people? It's the act is that we say the act of that, that's unhealthy. That is a death choice. It is not a life choice. But it's people that are doing this act. What are we going to do with these people? As a church, what are we going to do with them? When we were first formulating Celebration Church and I was sitting down with everybody that had some interest in it, one of the first things I said is, look, we are going to be a church that that is on the side of love. We're going to be a, a place that's on the side of people and recognize that people are where people are at that moment, that the Holy Spirit is working on them to draw them to himself. And it is grace and grace alone that delivers us. It is the power of God and the power of God alone that delivers us. And everybody here, if you're going to be a part of Celebration Church, you have to be comfortable as a believer with going to church and sitting down and shaking hands and being loving to someone who is actively involved in the sin of homosexuality. We have to be a church who is loving to people who are trapped in that. Just like we're loving to people who are trapped in greed, just like we're loving to people who are, who are, who are trapped in, and they're just mean, that we're going to be loving to mean people. We're going to be loving to jerky people. We're going to be loving to all, to all sorts of people that are dealing with different sin issues. We are not going to categorize in all this these different levels of sin. But that somebody can come, can hear the life-giving word of God, can embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior and allow the Holy Spirit to work on the inside of them to take them to a place of life and freedom. We will be that kind of a church. We will not be the kind of church that has some sort of goofy signs that says God hates some derogatory name for somebody, a person made in the image of God, trapped in that and, and lured by that. I mean, how, how, how horrible would that be? Jesus, Jesus died for them. There's a place reserved in heaven for God wants them sanctified, God wants them righteous, and God wants them with Him forever. And we better be on that page, folks. We better be there. We have to be there. We as children of God, we have to make sure, and we must not call anything wrong that God does not call wrong, and we must value what God values. I've been talking right now about valuing what God values. He sent His Son heaven's best. To die for all humanity trapped in all sin. Okay? Now, here's the other part that we as a church. This is, can start. We have to make sure we don't call anything wrong. That God doesn't call wrong. Okay? What is the sin of homosexuality? It is sex with somebody of the same sex. That is what it is. A sexual encounter of any kind. We're not going to go all Bill Clinton and try to define it. You know. You know. When something is sexually gratifying, you know it. Okay? Don't do that with somebody of the same sex. Okay? Baseline. Okay? Now. Okay? We see scripturally. Let's take Paul. Paul was called to singleness. Okay? Paul was called to live a life not married. Okay? But he wasn't called to aloneness. So who did he travel with? Men. 
Everywhere he went, he traveled the world with men. Guess what? Timothy was a younger man. Okay? All of a sudden, we're getting this, this thing of the Christian world, of the stereotype of, oh my goodness, here's homosexuality involved. Here's this older man with this younger guy that he's traveling the world, he's taken under his wing. Quite possibly, Timothy didn't have a real father figure. The only people we know that, that are quoted are talked about Timothy's, the faith of Timothy's mom and the faith of Timothy's grandmother had two strong female influences in his life. Okay? But guess what? Timothy, Holy Ghost, God rocking, our, changed our world, you and I, Timothy. Paul, his relationship with Timothy changed you and I. Guess what? In a lot of the church world today, there'd be all this over a Paul and a Timothy living the exact same way they did all through the New Testament. And people would call it, oh, that's it. you've got to avoid the appearance of evil. Oh, that just looks like it could be unhealthy. Shut up. Quit that. Do not call anything sin that isn't sin. Now, we're going to call sin, sin. But we're not going to call anything short of that sin. It is okay if somebody is called to singleness and they're not called to aloneness and have other people of the same sex as their best friends. It is okay. Guess what? There, there are women that, you know what? They're not, they don't want to get married. They don't want to. And it is okay that if two of them decide to, to rent a house together and live together and be best friends, the church, you better not start rumors and all this kind of junk and pushing people away. We have to let everybody who's, give them freedom to live a God-honoring life in the bounds that God has called us. Okay? Yes, the, that same scenario, and then behind those closed doors, crossing over into biblical homosexuality, that's sin. But them splitting their bills and being best friends for the rest of their lives and loving each other more than they love anybody else on the planet... There is nothing wrong with that. And we can't, as a church, we can't have a hard time with that. Because the Bible doesn't. So even though it may bristle you, and you're, like, you're going to have to get over it. You're going to have to let the Holy Spirit work on you and get over that. Okay? You're going to have to. We have to be. We have to be a place. And we have to be a place where people can find love and freedom. And again, I just want one more little piece of your time. <clears throat> because guess what? We have, an, we have a place. We have people who are up here to receive, to receive prayer. And we've got to be the kind of church, okay, where people know. Because let's say one of you guys out here are having a hard time with lust of a co-worker, married guy, okay? We have people over here. It's embarrassing and whatnot. But I, I honestly believe that you're dealing with that and you can come up to one of these guys and go, you know what, I need some prayer. I'm having some impure thoughts about a coworker, and I'm, would you just please pray with me? I need you to stand with me. Man, I get texts and stuff from people, hey, man, I'm, I'm struggling with some, with some temptation. Pray for me. I, I get those. They're not expecting any kind of condemnation, and they have the freedom to rally the troops to push against the attack of the enemy. We have to be the kind of church. That at the end of the service, if somebody is dealing with that and the enemy is attacking them and stirring them in that unhealthy way, that they know, oh, I'm at the kind of church that I can go up here and say, you know what? I'm having some stirring and I'm having some temptation with a coworker that's the same sex as me. And I need you to stand with me that the enemy's not going to have his way of my life and get me off course. 
and that there'll be no judgment, no condemnation, and we'll immediately go to prayer, and we'll stand with that person, and we'll fight alongside with them, just like we would with somebody who's saying, please help me break out of a chemical addiction or an alcohol addiction or anything else in life. We have to be, we cannot have somebody struggling and them not have access to the strength of the body. How wrong, how wrong, God forgive us that we have done that to people. That we have done that to people. The, the fact that it is such a prolific problem in our society. We shake our fingers at, uh, at sinners. But guess what? Sinners sin. You know where the problem is? Is the church was not a place willing to stand alongside with people. For years and years and years. And we said, oh, you dealing with that? Pff, fight it on your own. It makes me sick. That we as the body of believers did that for so long. And we won't do that. We won't do that at Celebration Church. We're going to stand with people. Colossians 4 says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 1 Timothy 1 says, The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. <clears throat> and then we close down with this. 1 Timothy 1, a few verses down. Here is a trustworthy saying. That deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. When we recognize that we were as filthy as anybody else. Then we don't get that self-righteous. Oh yeah, God saved me. But man, he's, I don't know if he can even deal with you. We have this. We have to have this attitude. This is a trustworthy saying. Worthy of full acceptance. He came to save people and set us free, and I was as bad as anybody out there. And, but he saved me. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Folks, God wants us to know and trust him, and he is open to our questions that are seeking real answers, real answers. I just need us to bow our heads right quick. Team, you can go ahead and come up. We're shutting it down right now. This morning, I'm telling you, if you need prayer, <laughs> we want you to be able to receive prayer. Uh, if you need prayer during the week, man, feel free to, to call the office or whatever. But this morning, if you're away from God and you say, hey, Brandon, I, I need to say yes to Jesus. I need to say yes to him. Then I want you to just raise your hand up. And I want you to embrace the love of God that is so here at this very moment. 